his best Luke Bryan impression, arguably the most important decision of his life when he was just 15 years old, how he's gotten to be such a great listener, what it was like telling his kids that he is gay, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number three, five, one, with celebrity TV and radio host with CMT, the one and only Cody Allen. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Are you struggling with motivation or structure or accountability with achieving your fitness goals? If so, then go to nickcarrier.com so you can download my new free ebook called Your Best Week. You'll get access to three workouts, my personal grocery list, and three things to avoid at the grocery store so that you can have your best week possible. Just go to nickcarrier.com to get access for free today. Today, I could not be more excited to bring you the one and only Cody Allen. Cody has been a longtime TV and radio host, and over the past decade plus, he's been the extremely popular host with CMT here in Nashville. Cody has just released a new book called Here's the Thing, H-E-A-R, Here's the Thing, Lessons on Listening, Life, and Love. Y'all, this book is spectacular. I read a lot of books. If you follow me on social media, you know I read a lot of books, and I don't just say that about any book. This book is a great mix of storytelling, humor, lessons, and vulnerability. Cody shares about his coming out as gay with his family and the rest of the world and how his relationships have been changed and how they are now ever since that happened. Before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure to share this episode with a friend while you're listening. All you got to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast or click those triple dots and send it in their messages right now. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here we go, guys. Here is to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Cody Allen. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by the one and only Cody Allen. Cody, I just want to start off by then saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today, man. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Nick, for inviting me. I love what you do. I love what you stand for. I love that you are a scrappy go-getter like I've always been. Um, and I can tell you're building all this, the podcast and beyond yourself. And it's a, it's a cool thing to watch. So I've seen your growth in Nashville. I've been following you on all the socials for years now. So um, it's just a really cool thing to be on with you. So thank you. Yeah, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's funny because I think I noticed a while back that maybe you liked one of my posts or something. And I was like, whoa, Cody Allen's following me. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, that was, a, that was a good little uh, confidence booster for me. But, no, but that was awesome. But uh, the way I, the way I actually want to start today is when I was doing my research and going back and, and looking at uh, some of your posts and after reading your book, which is awesome, by the way, and we'll get more than, into that in just a second. I saw you do an interview with Dirks not that long ago, and you were talking about different alcohol brands that country music stars have. And I heard you do an impression of Luke Bryan. That was really good. And I was wondering <laughs> if you have any others that you do impressions for. You know, it's funny because I, I worked in the audiobook, which uh, you mentioned the book a second ago. I did the, the whole audiobook. And as I, I'm telling the stories about some of these artists, um, I, I go back and do my best to do my impersonation of them. Uh, so Luke, I got down, I've got down pat pretty good, Nick, because Luke is obvious. He's kind of, you know, he's a Georgia, Southern Georgia guy out there. You know, all we did when he was a kid is picking up peanuts, never thought he'd be a country music star. Um, and, 
And then uh, Blake Shelton is really kind of similar, but it's a little more Hank Hill. I don't know if you remember the old King of the Hill TV show, but he's a little more. Hey, I can't see if I can do it. I, I haven't done it in a while. Uh, hi, hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. He always like comes a hi, buddy. And then he's like, uh, he told me one time, he's like, uh, yeah, it's like uh, he hated Converse shoes so much. He doesn't like like the Chuck Taylor Converse you know what I'm talking about. Um, so every time he would come into the studio, I'd always wear them just to like kind of start a you know, talking point. Uh, and he would all he said to me one time, who are you going to trust in the exit row in a plane? Me with my cowboy boots or you with your clown shoes? <laughs> so. Um, uh, let's see who else is. I do a little Justin Moore, although Justin's a little bit kind of like, uh, kind of like Blake. He's got a little bit of a twang. He called me one time and said, man, I don't know if you're, if you're being serious with these questions or just being stupid. <laughs> and then, uh, and then Reba, there's always Reba. Want a picture? I got <laughs> stories to tell. And uh, who else is really um, a little bit of a Kenny Chesney, but you have to hold your nose to do it. Don't tell Kenny I did this, but it's kind of like this a little bit. And cheap shades and a tattoo and a yoo-hoo <laughs> rolling on a floorboard. So, yeah, that's just a few. That's a smattering. I'm not very good with any of them except maybe the Luke. And that one I've done in front of him. And he giggles like a girl every time I do it. So um, <laughs> I love it. No, I love it, man. I, I, I love, uh, I, you're such an entertainer and you just have a, a, a way about you that puts, put a smile on everybody's faces who, uh, who hears you and sees you. And, you know, one of the biggest things and the biggest message about your book is the importance of listening. It's, it's called, here's the thing, H E A R. Here's the thing. Listening is the thing that's really important. And I just told you before we started recording that the podcast has been my best training ground in practicing my listening skills and essentially the way I kind of think about my mindset going into a conversation with somebody is not how can I ask the best best question? How can I make sure that it's the best interview is when I'm listening to them speak, it's I want to make sure that I can basically regurgitate back to them what they said. That's kind of like my mindset going into when somebody's speaking to me. So that's a little bit of my mindset. What, what are you go? What are you thinking about when somebody else is, is speaking to you? Yeah, it is kind of like an interesting skill, isn't it? To sort of figure out how to listen to somebody while at the same time hosting a show like you do and then figuring out what to say next because you've got to have the next question ready. And so my, uh, I talk about in the book, how one of my secrets is always to be really prepared, like to go into an interview with kind of an idea of where I want to go with it, what things I want to ask, but not to be so scripted that I have to go point by point, question by question. So uh, for me, it takes listening to what the person said and then you know, asking an intelligent follow-up or keying in on something that they say that sort of stands out from everything else that maybe I could, because I'm a curious person, delve into and maybe get some stuff that I wasn't expecting or that the audience wasn't expecting or that the artist wasn't expecting. But it all comes down to just like making them comfortable, making everybody feel like they could speak. I'm not being too serious. None of my interviews, I'm lucky that I don't have to be like a hard-hitting journalist. I can kind of go for a lot of the artistry, a lot about the music, and then about life. And if I hit kind of those points, I'm usually gold. It's, you know, sometimes we get serious, but it's very rare. I 
do like to talk seriously about stuff from time to time because I think it strikes an emotion. But I guess to answer your question, it really goes back to just being sensitive, open, showing empathy when you hear something someone says, kind of identifying and making connection, making a human connection with them. Um, it's just so important whenever you're really trying to, to, to pull off a great interview and to listen well. Yeah, no doubt. I like what you said in regards to kind of like trying to pick out one of the things that, that stands out amongst everything else that they're saying and, and honing in on that because that's what's going to bring out something that maybe they haven't they haven't said before or that's going to be what's most entertaining for the viewers for sure. One of the things now I want to talk about serious, serious about something here real quickly and because I think it's a, a struggle that a lot of people are having nowadays with regards to figuring out what their calling is or figuring out what their path is. And you were fortunate enough, as like you made the post today, the picture of your 17-year-old self about how you were so lucky. And you talk about in the book, how you were so lucky to kind of feel like you knew what your calling was or what you knew you wanted to do long-term very early on. And the, one of my favorite quotes from your entire book that I have written down was, when you have the courage not to play anyone else's game, but your own, you will excel. So I guess kind of what I want to ask out of this is how can we listen to ourselves enough to figure out what our game is and make sure that we're not playing somebody else's? Well, big question. Um, big, big question. I think that delving deep inside our hearts sometimes to figure out what our passion is drives us to that answer and drives us to know what our purpose, career and otherwise is. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. But I think it goes back to what you love to do when you just have extra time on your hands. And for me, as a kid, when I had extra time, I loved to hear music. I loved to hear radio. I wanted to go back and hear the stories about the songs that I heard on the radio. I want to hear the uh, the artists, where they came from, what their life was. Are they married? Are they not married? And, and how did they get to where they were? So uh, for me, though, that's where I went in my spare time. For you, it may have been fitness, I'm guessing, or, or something along those lines, because you're such a, a fit dude and, and such a pro at, at helping people build their own level of fitness. So I, I think for some people, maybe a hobby and figuring out what is it about this hobby that drives me? Not every hobby will end up in a career, but there's got to be like a layers of that that you can apply to something bigger than just you know your extra time. And it's tough, I think, for a lot of people. I think there's some people, and it's unfortunate, to go to, to work every day in a cubicle and like just show up nine to five and just make the most of what they have just to get a paycheck. And for them and for many people, I, look, look I, I think if that's your choice and you're happy there, great. But I think for some people like me, I'm built a little differently. I can't do that. I got to have something that drives me every morning to get out of the bed to put one foot in front of the other to get me excited about getting to work. And fortunately for me, I have a job where it does all those things and every day is different. I really need that personally as just the way I'm built. I need I need that daily challenge. And so for me, those are the things that, that drive me each and every every morning. But I don't know. I think that's probably how I would answer that question. I know it's a tough one. No, I, I think that it is obviously a really big question, but I think one of the things that resonated with me was when you talked about you know, think about what your hobbies are. And then there's layers to that. There's layers to asking yourself, why does that hobby fire me up? Why does that give me passion? Why does that energize me? Because it's not always going to be that hobby that you can make into a profession. And the reason that I thought about that or why it resonated with me is because when I was in high school, I remember always think people weren't asking me like, what are you going to study in college? And I'm like, I don't know. I like, I like sports. 
but I don't know what I'm going to do outside of that. And I hadn't thought about it this way until you just said it with regards to there's layers of the hobby or there's layers of what you're passionate about. And I think one of the reasons why I love sports so much is because I loved the training aspect of the sports, the working out with a group of people. Like I, I just, I love getting in a room and getting after it with a group of people and, and working hard. And I think that's that overall interest and that overall passion of mine translated really well when I found myself in group fitness. And I was like, whoa, this gives me the same energy and the same passion that I had with sports in high school. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that uh, I think there's a lot of guys and gals like you who um, who love sports uh, at some level. They again, it's like, how, how does that apply to something bigger? And I think, you know, f- for some, it's it's coaching sports or to um, play on a professional level. For others, it is something, I think, more reasonable, which is to uh, find your way in helping others build their fitness. So while I don't have the answer for everybody, I do think that's one of the secrets, at least to my story, is that I kind of honed in on something I knew I loved. And I got very lucky at the age of 15. I was able to go to well, I wasn't able to. I just made it a point to. I got up and I said, I'm going to figure out how to get on the radio. I could finally drive my mom and dad's old, a rundown 1981 Toyota Corolla, rust colored with the ceiling falling down because all the staples were coming out and the, the plastic in the seats was peeling up. I didn't care because when you're 15, you just want to ride. You want a set of wheels. And so I had the chance because I had a car to actually go to work at a job. And so I thought to myself, what do I want that job to be? I wonder if I could work at the radio station. So I called the local station. I talked to the GM, the general manager, who also was the owner. He did the morning show. I mean, he was, you know, jack of all trades. I said, Hey, can I come in and talk about radio? I want to be on radio one day. And he said, sure. So I got very lucky. I worked for like a summer at a radio station just to get my foot in the door. And that's sometimes what it takes, like get your foot in the door with whatever it is you think you want to do and work your ass off and then see where that leads. Because for me, it was a matter of sponging up those experiences at the radio station. And eventually, because everybody knew that I wanted it so bad uh, to be on the air, you know, someone got sick on a Saturday and I got the call to go in and, and fill in for them on like a Saturday night, midnight to 6 a.m. shift graveyard. But I was just thrilled to be on the air. And I'll never forget that first night. I still have it on cassette, by the way, Nick. Yeah. If you know what a cassette is, it's a little thing with the Google it. Um, but nonetheless, um, there, there was just so much to be said about, hey, get your foot in the door, work hard, and then see where it leads. See what connections are made and see what other people you meet who maybe have a story that helps you get to where you want to be. Yeah. I got to tell you, Cody, that there's a lot of amazing things that I love about your story, but that's one of my favorite things that you did at 15 years old is you made the first step, you know, in a couple, a couple times in your recounting of the story, you said, I got really lucky. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day, you were lucky that maybe the guy was in a good mood and said, yes, but like you were not lucky in the sense that you took the action, took the action necessary to take step number one. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't necessarily do. And one of the things i talk about and, and emphasize and, and think a lot of people do is I think we minimize the impact that one small action can have in our lives or, and in other people's lives, right? You could have so easily been sitting there at 15 years old being like, what's this phone call going to do? It's not going to do anything. The likelihood that he says yes is low. Even if he does says yes, what is this going to turn into? But you still did it and it led to your first job, to your second job. And now 
to this and you're impacting, not only did it turn out great for you, but it turned out great for your family, your friends, and everybody that loves to listen and watch you. And so I think we can't underemphasize the importance of one action that we might take. So with that being said, is there maybe another action that you felt like was super important, but you didn't really realize the impact that it might have at the time of you taking the action? We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hi, my name is Abby. I joined Nick's 10-week program to eat healthier and get stronger. This is the healthiest that I've ever eaten, and I could tell changes in my body within the first few weeks. My favorite part of the program is the accountability that the program and Nick offers. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Yeah, uh, and thank you for saying that. I, I think you're so spot on because you're right. Sometimes I think we all, I'm the, I'm the kind of guy like, look, I'm in the spotlight all the time. So I, I, and I'm literally in a spotlight right here. You can see through my glasses as a ring light. But I will say like, I feel like there's a humility that creeps in sometimes. I don't always like to say that I did it. I like to say I got lucky because it kind of takes the, you know what I'm saying? A little bit of the braggadocious off, but you're exactly right. You still did it because it was a matter of your action, the action that you took. And going back to your question, I do think there have been numerous times where I didn't know it, but someone was watching me and someone was watching me work hard. Someone was hearing me and I didn't know it on the air. Someone was watching me on CMT and I didn't know it. And uh, later they remembered something about what it was I was doing, the hard work I was putting in, what they heard coming out of the speakers they thought was pretty good, or what they saw that I was doing on TV and thinking, okay, this guy, maybe I could use for something else. And that's happened a lot of times with me. People will see or hear or watch hard work and then go, all right, let me call him because maybe he could do this. And um, there are a lot of examples, in fact, in the book about sort of that happening. To give you a direct example, the guy who came into a little radio station I worked at in Dallas. It was like the third place station, uh, country station, you know, worst country station in the market, if you will. Uh, and I was working there and they hired a new guy to come in who um, was a rock and roll pop rock guy from Atlanta. And he came into Dallas and we all thought we were losing our jobs because it was country and he was going to change the format. Um, uh, turns out he kept the format and I'm one of the few people he kept around, changed the whole station Within a couple of years, it was the number one country radio station and the number one station in the market. Lucky for me, lucky? No, because I was there, because I had proven myself, I got to stick around and be part of that. And then years later, that same dude who I thought was going to fire me, who ended up keeping me on in Dallas, became the president of CMT. So you see the link between those two things. Whenever he thought, okay, I need a radio guy in Nashville to run the CMT radio department and to be on the air, who do I call? Maybe that guy that I'd proven myself to before um, he thought of me. So, and that's the case with many things. I feel like because of actions, because of hard work, often called on to do things because people see or hear, hear me. 
even me talking about this right now, Nick, makes me feel so braggadocious. I don't like it, but I want you to know that I'm giving up a little bit of that space to you right now that I, I usually don't. I usually am much more humble about these kind of things and I don't say I did it, but I feel like, yeah, yeah but let me take some ownership in that I did it for a second here. Yeah. Well, and, and I, re- I think it's important to, and I understand where you're coming from because I do the same thing, but I think it's important because I think it's empowering to others to feel like they have certain agency over their own life. And what, you know, it's funny. I think that exact example made me pause reading your book and start writing out something in regards to, I think a lot of us wait till we see an opportunity available to start preparing for that opportunity or to start working hard for that opportunity, but only because we see it. Like, I think we need to be always preparing ourselves slash working hard, even when there is no opportunity available. So when, if it does pop up, we're ready or that somebody sees us fit for it. Yep. It reminds me of like the vacation example I like to use with fitness. And maybe you've used this as well before. When you know you've got like a trip to the beach or you're going on a cruise or soon your abs are, your abs are going to be showing. We know you got them, Nick, under there. Whenever you know that's coming, you prep and you go to the gym more and you're doing more cardio. You're making sure that when that beach trip happens, you're ready. And I think that's the same with so many things in my own life. Like I, I feel like I'm just constantly prepping for whatever's next and I don't even know what it is, you know? Yeah. I think that's, I think that is such a great analogy. And I think that's one of the best ones to get across the point for sure. I kind of want to transition into a little bit of family life because that's obviously such a big component of you and your story and everything in the book as well. What's maybe one of the biggest lessons that you've learned about yourself after like kind of when you had kids early on? Well, you learned that you, uh, as a father and every parent can probably relate to this. First of all, parenting is more work than you can imagine. You can't imagine the level of work that it is, but at the same time, you also can't imagine the the uh, level of fun and satisfaction that it is. Like it's beyond anything describable. Um, so I learned really early on with my own kids that the emotions and, and, and experiences I had before I had them I didn't know they would play such a part, but they definitely played a part in how I dealt with kids, especially as they get older, when they have questions and you're trying to teach them. And, you know, I talk about in the book, sort of going on a religious mission at one point and for a couple of years and trying to figure out, you know, if that was for me, because I was really seeking out God and like wanting to do what I thought he wanted me to do. And so when you have that sort of experience, you learn a lot about yourself. I learned, first of all, how to talk to other people and let other people in on things that were of the soul. I also learned how to build trust with other people, to build a conversation, how to get it going. And so those are skills, obviously, that helped me today. But I also learned something about universal love and acceptance. And, um, you know, there was one point on this missionary experience that I described in the book that I really wanted to go home. And it was one of those things that was like a two-year commitment. And you can certainly go home anytime you want, but I didn't know what to do. And I, I reached out to a guy who was called my mission president. And this guy came in and he gave me a chat and was like, Hey, what can I do to help you? And I'm like, I'm really struggling. I'm thinking about leaving this mission idea. I don't think I have a testimony about some of the stuff that I was teaching other people. And he said to me then, he said, Hey, 
do what you need to do and know that no matter what you choose, I'm cool with it. I, I love you. We'll miss you, but you need to make that decision. And I thought that was really powerful at the time. It really stuck with me and it, it put the burden on, well, no burden. It, it put the decision on me, the, the choice on me. And then I was able to sort of see a little better what I really wanted. And I really, I really wanted to stay. And I ended up staying uh, through that mission experience. But that was a powerful sort of unconditional love moment that I taught my kids later. Every time they brought me a problem, I was always like, hey, I'll help you. We can talk about this, but ultimately this is on you. I'll help you make the decision and I'll love you either way. And I think you know, the more we can teach our kids that and the more I you know, went back to that sort of lesson over and over again, I, it, the better off I've been. And that's with everything and everyone in my life. The more often you can love somebody through whatever, uh, the better off uh, you know, we all are. I, I got to tell you, I thought that was such a powerful part of, the, in, of your book as well when he said that to you, that he wasn't, he didn't care whether or not what decision you made, but he was going to love you either way. And, and it's funny because you just kind of answered the answer to my, the next question that I was thinking about asking. And then I thought about when I was reading your book and that was, you know, when you came out to your kids in the first place, when you came out to Michaela and Landon, you talked so much about how great their response was. You know, you you had to be, have been super nervous about how they were going to respond when you told them but you, you talked about how they were so unconditionally loving of you. And I was going to ask you, like, what did you do as a parent? What did you instill in them to allow them to have that such a great reaction? But it sounds like you just taught them the importance of unconditional love as, when they were growing up. Yeah, I, there was, like I said, I always turned back to like that idea that, okay, I, I'm going to love you through this. It's okay. We can work through this together. And no matter what, we, we've still got each other on the other side of this, whatever choice is made. And I think, yeah, maybe that, that really uh, resonated with them. Hopefully, you know, dug itself in their own spirit and soul to the point where when I was telling them about the most personal of things that I thought I would keep for, you know, as a secret to my grave the rest of my life. I, would, I thought I'd tell no one about being gay. And then you're telling your kids, which, um, you know, obviously I told my ex-wife first and, and uh, sort of followed in line to everybody else after that. But yeah, I was, um, I was blown away by their maturity at that moment and their ability to love me through that. And I think it has something to do also with the generation. You know, there's a whole different generation of my kids uh, and and, and even right now, I mean, there's so much more love and acceptance in the world um, versus whenever I was growing up. So I didn't have an Ellen. I didn't have a Will and Grace. I didn't have a uh, TJ Osborne in country music on a country music stage singing who said he was gay. I, I, uh, I didn't have any of that. So for this new generation, including my kids, they see it differently. They sort of see your orientation as being something that you are wired with, like your eye color. There's like, you don't have a choice. And it's true. I learned that the hard way over many, many years of sort of struggling that this is not something I chose. And accepting that uh, was really eye-opening for me and life-changing to the point where, you know, eventually, like you said, I was able to tell my my kids. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, and I got to say, Cody, I think one of the things that speaks the most about you as a person is your ability to having told like your family and the fact that you have the best relationship with both your ex-wife and your kids and everybody in your family that you have now, that it, as close of a relationship now as has ever been. I think more than anything, 
that you've ever done or anything that you've written. I think that's a, the biggest testament to the the kind of person that you are and the kind of husband and, and, and dad that you are. Do you feel like there was anything that improved or changed about your interviewing skills or your hosting skills once you did come out? Like, do, do you feel like your professional, like you, like you improved as an interviewer and as a host? Yeah, I think there was, well, first of all, I would say nothing drastic, although I could feel something. I, I think the viewer and listener may not notice right off, but I knew that I was a, a more free being, <laughs> you know, more open and more able to um, not second, I wasn't second guessing myself as often. I wasn't, there was an edit button on everything I said. When you've got a secret, you know, it's just like, it's like you're carrying it constantly like a, a bag of, of rocks and a backpack. You just feel like it's on your shoulders all the way up the hill. And it's the, you know, it's, it's terrible. It doesn't feel good. And so, you know, eventually kind of lifting that, all those rocks out of there and being able to sort of move on was really, really, really good for me, obviously, but also like, um, I think in interviews a lot more freeing. Yeah, I guess there have been like a few occasions where I probably have said things like I'm, I'm just thinking about if there were an example of something I said on the air that I would not have said before. Okay, so here's one. Um, Michael Ray is a great dude. I don't know if you know him, but he has uh, great songs. He's several number ones. Um, he's got whiskey and whiskey and rain and rain out right now. And anyway, he's a great guy. He um, and I kind of know him. He's kind of been, you know, he's kind of come up in the ranks as I've been and interviewed him so many times over the years. But I, you know, the other day I asked him, like, uh, in an interview, I was like, hey, what would you be if you weren't a country music singer? And he said he thought about being like in criminal justice or being a police officer. And I said, that kind of gives me a few of those police stripper fantasies that I've been thinking about already with you. Um, <laughs> and that's something that I would probably have never, I mean, obviously would have never said before, but you know, there's a freeing sense that you can kind of joke around a little bit and be real with people. And, and by the way, it's a really good thing for the audience as well, because I think they see that you're a real person, that you're not hiding, you're not covering up anything and that you can make jokes about your own, your own sexuality, your own weirdness, uh, to some degree, and that that is is kind of fun. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely been some some difference in the way I kind of approach the job. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's a an awesome example for sure. Well, the second to last question is, is kind of goes to just your experience with with country artists. I thought it was awesome. I know Dirk Bentley. I've actually heard him on some podcasts, and I know he's very health conscious and, and very like fitness oriented. And I know you, the story from the book. You guys, uh, you hopped in an ice bath with him before uh, going on show. Is there any other kind of crazy experiences that you've had with people before maybe going on show or any kind of crazy rituals that people have? Yeah, Dirks is very, uh, very fitness focused. He's almost uh, malnourished. In fact, he's so skinny, but <laughs> he's a good dude. He's, you know, obviously one of my very best friends in the business. He's uh, doing some stuff with the book that, you know, Keith Urban wrote the foreword. It's like, I don't know why these guys say yes to doing these things because I don't have any, I really, I feel this way that to know Keith Urban, for example, I don't have any business knowing him. Like the fact that I know him and that I, his number is like in my phone, like what is going on? It's um, another universe. I feel like that he orbits in, but he needed the money, Nick. And so I said, well, you can write the forward if you really need the cash. And uh, but getting back to Dirks for a second. No, seriously. Yeah. He's a very fitness oriented guy. And we had a great time in that ice bath, which by the way, I lasted 13 minutes, which is 
pretty damn good. Dirk's only goes 20 minutes. So I felt like I'd at least beat the halfway point there. So I'd done this zip line in, I did one time with Justin Lynch, who's also a really thick dude in Mexico. He is incredibly scared of heights, however. And we did in the jungles, by the way, we had to take this like caravan kind of thing out in the, like 45 minutes from the resort. It was a little bit sketchy, <laughs> but we finally made it to this really cool jungle zip line thing. And there must have been, I don't know, 10 of them stretched all across the trees. Insane. Uh, but we rode those and, and they, uh, the CMT guys put a GoPro on our hats and I had a great time. I loved it. Dustin, I don't, I don't know that he loved it so much, but he endured it. And then we also did a uh, swimming with dolphins thing, we, we, uh, which I'm not a huge, I'm not a great swimmer and I don't love like gigantic mammals, you know, in the water. I don't know. For some reason, I don't love them. I know it's weird because they're like the golden retrievers of the ocean, I hear. But for me, just being up close to an animal that I don't control, it's a creature from another world, the, the ocean. Uh, so I, I'm kind of frightened by them. But nonetheless, my point is, uh, yeah, there have been some very select, wonderful adventures. Lauren, Elena, and I went in a, we did go-karting one time with one of those kind of like, uh, almost looks like a moon vehicle of some kind. We've got, yeah, so we did that. I've done like uh, some rodeo lassoing at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo. I mean, all kinds of really crazy things over the years. I don't draw the line at much, honestly. So I kind of just jump right into it. And uh, like I said, the only thing I ever, I ever say I can't, I don't want to jump in the ocean I don't want to go deep sea diving. So the guys know not to ask me to do that. But other than those things, I'm usually game. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love that you say yes to whatever the experience is. That's super cool. Well, Cody, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you, man. First off, your book was awesome. Here's the thing coming out. I was lucky enough to have a, uh, an advanced copy of it and flew through it in three days. And I know you guys are going to love it. And I'm actually, I think by the time the podcast comes out, it will have already happened, but I'm going to be tuning into the conversation with you and Dirks as well. So I'm super pumped about, super pumped about that. Yeah, there you go. So I'll get you, I want to get you a copy of the actual book though. I know they gave you like a digital copy, but I'll get, make sure this gets to you as well. Cause I want to make sure you have the hardcore hard copy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good deal. I appreciate that. But yeah, man, I, I should acknowledge you for your ability to be able to put some, like a smile on somebody. Like I've been cracking up this entire interview, to put a smile on so many people's faces and to be able to bring the energy and bring the positivity for so many years, even with the kind of the emotional struggle that you were kind of fighting through and, but still being able to bring that and now still being able to bring it even to a, a greater degree. And I, I know that, like I mentioned earlier, it speaks so much to who you are as a person with how supportive your family has been through it and how supportive so many of your friends have been through it as well. So just know you're an awesome guy and I really appreciate you joining today, man. Back at you. I can't wait to meet you in person. So I need to come take a class of yours. Uh, so I know you do some personal training as well. So maybe, uh, maybe we hit it up sometime. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely, we'll definitely have to get a workout in. But uh, last question here, Cody is, that I think getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't know if we're ever at that best version. And I also think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So the last question is for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best version of Cody Allen that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Myth. 
You don't ask easy questions. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. The three things that I need. It's the best you podcast, baby. Look, I've been, uh, I, I know we talked about fitness a little bit and I, uh, I've kind of fallen off the wagon here with the pandemic, to be honest with you, Wick, uh, Nick, uh, rather. I, I felt like from the beginning of the pandemic, like the cupboard was way too close, like the pantry was so tempting. And so I stopped, stopped buying the foods that got me in trouble to begin with. And look, alcohol also, when you're home all the time, and the Tito's is right there. It is hard not to hit it at four in the afternoon, uh, especially after a long day. I, I try to stay away from drinking as much as I can during the week and hit it on the weekends if I do go out. But so I would say that's the first thing. And again, I'm aging a little bit here. Uh, so to me, I just want to get back to my fighting shape. <laughs> so that's one thing. I think I want to create new challenges with my job over the next little bit because. You can, with what I do, fall into uh, a routine, and I don't like that. I like to change things up a lot. I like to move the show around, you know, the elements of what we're doing. You know, change up the voices every once in a while that people are hearing, so that and, and change up the interviews so that I'm interviewing different people and doing things. You know, always always keeping it interesting. So I think I'd like to create a few new challenges for what I do on the air. The last one. This is tough. I think I would like to get better sleep <laughs> and get up early and get up earlier in the morning and go to bed at a decent, a more decent hour and not be, not be staying up too late, which is a, can be a problem with me. I tend to like be a night owl and I have shows that run at night. So I'm always like kind of running the gun and even in the evening, like I am tonight. And then I would like to be able to uh, get up earlier in the morning and make a more productive day because of that better sleep. So is that pretty good? I don't know if that even compares to your other guests. Is that about right? That was great. That sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. It's whatever uh, makes sense for you right now. So that was great. That was great. But yeah, Cody, that's all we got today, man. Really appreciate you joining on. I know everybody absolutely loved it. And I know they're going to go to CodyAllenBook.com and purchase. Here's the thing. So appreciate it, man. Thanks. Hey, uh, Nick, can you hear that? Sorry. I had someone calling. Nick, thank you for the time. Uh, you're the best, and I will look forward to seeing you very soon uh, in person. And uh, thank you again for having me on. I hope people get uh, something out of our chat today and also out of the book itself. So um, it's, it was, it's been a labor of love taking me years to get to the point where I, first of all, wanted to release it, but secondly, uh, to get all of it together so it could be something meaningful to people. They told me when I came out, I should just release the book. Then I'd make a lot more money. <laughs> I said, I don't have the book. I don't have the story yet. I don't even know the aftermath of all of this. How, how do I even write about something when it's not ready yet? I'm not ready yet. So it took me a little while to get to the point where I was ready. And I'm just so proud of it now. So thank you for supporting me and all of it. I, it really means a lot. Yeah. Well, and I'm not just saying it because I, I read a lot of books. Like reading is one of my things. I've read a lot of books and, and yours is, is definitely up there. So I love it. Good stuff. Right, thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this awesome interview with Cody. Be sure to go grab a copy of his brand new amazing book, Here's the Thing. Again, H-E-A-R, Here's the Thing, Lessons on Listening, Life, and Love. And you can grab it at CodyAllenBook.com. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member because you never know the impact that it might have on their life. Be sure to go grab a copy of my new free ebook, Your Best Week at nickcarrier.com where you can get your weekly workout routine and follow the same grocery list that I personally use on a weekly basis. And remember, listen to others. Don't go into a conversation just trying to convince someone of something or trying to convince them that you're right. Go in seeking to understand their point of view. 
And remember to give those close to you unconditional love. I think that's one of my biggest takeaways that I personally got from Cody during the interview. He always gave his kids unconditional love growing up. And it showed because that when he told his kids that he was gay, they treated him with that same unconditional love that he always gave them. This was an extremely powerful part of the book for me, and I can't wait for y'all to read it yourself. Be sure to check out Cody on CMT's Hot 20 Countdown if you have never seen him there before. But for now, y'all, it's time. It's time to go out and take action on something that you learned here today so that you can continue to get closer and closer to your best you.